apple pie. And um, just, just, just hang on one moment. What a great guy. This is just an incredible man. And he's the sort of person you would want to go to war with. You know, if you had to go to war, you'd want Phil Pye on your team. Not just because he looks hard, but because, <laughs> because he is one of those faithful, consistent, awesome people. Can we honor this man and for what he brings to us? Thank you. wonderful and it will be church leaders around the room standing because they understand his his faithfulness particularly well we've had an incredible day of teaching and as Phil said already the plan isn't for me to bring a long session of talking from the front but just to sow some seeds and then hopefully ignite a response I don't know about you but after Deborah's session I am ready to pray I just want to get into it. So I need to just get through what I'm going to get through. The band are going to help us. And we're going to spend some time in prayer. This session is reaching our world by praying. You might ask, how can we reach our world by praying? Alan said this morning, didn't he? You know, you can, like, if the church just stays in its four walls praying, we won't change our communities. This is true. But I also want to ask, how can we reach our world without praying? Because we have to have both the action, the reaching out, the partnering, unity, community projects, evangelism, rolling our sleeves up, paying the price, Alan's session on commitment, but also, friends, the church is powered by prayer, isn't she? We have to be a prayerful people. One of the problems for us, I think, is that we know this stuff. We can, many of us, teach and preach the verses. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and, and we could preach, many of us would preach it. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. How, how often do we quote that and we know that? We know that the church in Acts was a praying church. They raised their voices together. But you know, if I spoke for an hour on praying and we didn't actually pray, we don't move into it because nothing mobilizes prayer like praying. And so one of my problems in a session like this, if, if I bring you verses on prayer, you know it. And I'm all for reminders on day like today, but you know what better? Let's get a hold of it. Let's roll our sleeves up because for many of us, we know the theory, we know the theology but if we're honest, we're weak on the practice. But we all believe, don't we, that prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. If you don't believe it, let me tell you, prayer changes things. If we're going to redeem our communities, we have to be a people that will pray. Hearing that, that Deborah was coming today, I, I've not met Deborah until just now. But I just did a little bit of homework. And found out that redeeming our communities, as she said herself, was birthed as a prayer movement. Her book, City Changing Prayer, written with Frank, an incredible story. And I find myself humble because Phil's partly asked me to share in this session because of what's happening in Coventry. We're about 24 years behind Deborah and Frank right now. But God's the same God who works by the same principles. You might be the only spirit-filled person in your village, but it can start with prayer. 
walking the streets, finding one other person. Because prayer changes things. You know, one of our little stories, I, I love that, that word of they didn't understand the miracle of the loaves. The point being that Jesus worked the miracle through their hands. And so for us, one of our little stories here, it's an in-house. It's not reaching our community. It's not reaching our world story. It's a little in-house story. But it teaches us that God answers prayer. About 18 months ago, we had a problem. I had someone came to me on a Friday afternoon and said, just need to let you know we're going to lose our car park at the end of the year. We've got about 40 spaces here. We had about another 100 in another plot of land that was a bit of wasteland owned by the council. It was a ticking bomb all along. We knew at some point it wouldn't stay as it was, but we had noticed that it was going to come to an end. Now, really, opposite us, we've got Coventry University, Techno Center Car Park, 300 fantastic spaces, landscaped, lit, wonderful. But there's a problem, because we run conferencing here to help pay the mortgage, and so do they. They see us as the competition, and when they heard that we were looking for a car park, the decision maker said, no, no, and definitely not. We don't have anything to do with these guys. We don't want to rent it out to them. We want to make it hard for them. We're not going to get into partnership with them. I was very annoyed by it because actually it wasn't even me that made the approach. Someone went without asking me. And then came back and said, just want you to know it's an absolute no. So they went back and spoke to their contact again without me knowing and said, would you just have a meeting with our pastor? And he said, no, absolutely not. Don't want a meeting with your pastor. So there we go. We got a door shut and really no other sensible provision in our vicinity. But we had a week of prayer and fasting the next week. So we said, right, if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, then that's not their car park in the first place. So, so, so we started to walk on the land. We prayed. We shared it with the congregation. We say, God, you can do anything. We're asking you to open the door. At one o'clock in the, in the morning on a, a November night, I drove out of the car park here and was looking at it. And I remember out loud in my car by myself saying, Lord, what I want for Christmas is the Techno Center car park. <laughs> that was the end of a, a week of prayer. The next week on the Tuesday, we had a conference here. Some of our conference delegates parked in their car park by mistake. And one of a different manager came over to rebuke us. But she walked into the building, was impacted by the presence of God. Spoke to, seriously, spoke to one of us, came over to tell us off and spoke to one of our elders and said, what is this place? Is this a church? And he said, yes, it is. She said, wow, this feels different. What are you on with? What's happening? And then she said, what do you do on Sunday for car parking? He said, it's funny you should ask us that. <laughs> she... She said, let me see what I can do. And she went and spoke to the man who said, no, no, and definitely not. Within three days, he came over to have a meeting with me, who he didn't want to have a meeting with. And at the end of it, he shook my hand and said, I just want to say to you, keep up the good work. And, well, and on the 1st of January, we began to use their car park. One door closed, another door opened. But you know what? That did not change Coventry but it taught us this that God answers prayer God, prayer change I know you know this Wesley said God does nothing except in answer to prayer we may not entirely agree with that statement but what we find 
in church history is that there's no move of God, there's no revival without there's been prayer, either present or probably pivotal. Evan Roberts, the depth of burden, if you read the, the accounts of the Welsh revival. Incredible, caught up in encounters with God in the night. Shaking in the presence of God, a man of prayer. William Seymour, Frank Bartleman, the Azusa Street Revival. Men who, their families were concerned for their health. But they would sooner die than not see God move. Apostolically led. Acts 6. It's not right for us to wait on tables. We must be set apart for what? Prayer and the ministry of the word. This is apostolic work. I'm not against at all. In fact, I'm all for the planting of churches, the appointing of leaders, the raising of the dead, and the healing of the sick. But apostolic work is the work of prayer. The work of the church has to be the work of prayer. Billy Sunday, the great evangelist who reputedly would go on and hire the, the highest hotel room he could get his hands on in a city when he went to preach and would pray and fast and labor and travail until he knew something had shifted in the heavenlies. Then he'd come down and he'd preach revival. Now, I don't know where you're at right now. I am not, by the way, positioning myself as a great prayer warrior. I'm not yet, but I theologically have a passion for the priority of prayer. I also know that prayer changes me. First of all, prayer changes me. I also believe that as we seek to see God move in our towns and our villages and our cities, we have to think about how we structure prayer together. The church in Acts prayed together. The upper room before the day of Pentecost. They devoted themselves, the Bible said, to prayer. They gathered together in one place and raised their voices all together and God moved. They were a people who prayed together. Oh, here we, we have daily praying, we have monthly prayer meetings, we have quarterly weeks of prayer and fasting. We, we have our different things, but also about 18 months ago, we found ourselves caught up in a, in a prayer initiative in the city. An email that I felt compelled to send. I didn't want to send. In fact, I, I tried for three weeks to shake off the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but, but I couldn't shake him off. And in the end, I sent this lame email that really was just positioned, hopefully that the answer would be no, but the Holy Spirit uh, would get off my case. And I sent an email to three other church leaders just to get the Holy Spirit off my back. Because we had, we had our work cut out here. It would be crazy. What I knew was that if there was going to be a citywide prayer initiative, I needed not to be organizing it. I was not positioning myself for that. I would not have presumed that. We were new kids on the block in the city and all of that. But quite beside of that, we had enough on our plate. But I sent this lame email saying, I, I, you know, I don't suppose it, it's the right time. It's probably a stupid thing to say. But, you know, I just, I feel I need to send this email to say we shouldn't be trying to gather together to pray, should we? <laughs> or something like that. And and the three leaders all came back straight away saying, absolutely, definitely, yes. And so we had a meeting and I found myself, I was the, the, the newest person to the city by three years. I was the youngest person in the room by 15 years. And David Mayhew, who's uh, the most senior Anglican in the city outside of 
uh, the bishop and the dean of the cathedral, he turned to me at the end of an opening bit of prayer. He said, now, Martin, you lead us in this, and we all agree, don't we? <laughs> now, I, and I would have said, don't be daft, only I knew before God I, I had a little role to play, a little prayerless me. And so we, we put a little communication out. And in November 2013, we gathered here about 750 people from over 50 churches. And, and when Esther and I stood up here to welcome people, I turned to her and I said, I think the Lord's just called a meeting. Because our marketing wasn't that good. And we'll just show you our little promo for the next one. It's a, a week tomorrow is our next one. And uh, here's our little promo, just to get a flavor of what's happening here. to be and what the people are to do, a people who praise the Lord, a people who live righteously, a people who pray for the coming of God's reign and rule and kingdom. never quantify the significance of our prayers truly but within two weeks of our first gathering of churches together 
the chief executive of Coventry City Council phoned Bishop Christopher and asked whether he thought the church could help get rough sleepers off the streets in the winter. They reckon 25 or so rough sleepers were destined to spend the winter months. This was the end of November. Within two weeks, seven church venues were found. The funding was in place and 400 volunteers had signed up as the church responded in the city. Um, Next week, Coventry Winter Night Shelter, which just comes to the end of its second year, um, will have had such an impact and success. The council are coming to the church, urging the church not to stop it, and it not to be a winter night shelter, but an ongoing night shelter. Two weeks ago, when the last stats were in, 105 rough sleepers had been housed during the project, and brilliantly, 56 of those people had been helped and moved by the project into more sustainable accommodation. And, uh, and the council are now having conversation with the church about five major strategies, including, for instance, children and youth, to see how the church can partner with the council. And we roll our sleeves up and we face the challenge of funding and volunteers and how we can make this work. But at the heart of it is also prayer. Because when we pray, God opens the doors. And when we don't, they don't. And you may be way ahead of where we are. You may be just starting today. And I'm not in any way suggesting you replicate what we're doing because God's never looking for the sound of an echo but the sound of a voice. But for you to seek God for where you are and that you may own and take responsibility for where God has planted you. Whatever your village, your town, your city, your suburb, Whatever's on your heart, I hope you have a heart for where God has planted you. you know, I don't believe primarily God has called us to build great churches. That's his job. He's building his church. We're trying to take that off him. He wants us to bring the kingdom where we are. To use today's language to reach our world and we have to pray. We have to pray. Nothing fuels prayer like praying, which is why we're going to get to that. But just for a moment, I'm going to turn us to the very familiar verses, I'm sure, of 1 Kings 18. But I want us to see and understand something here. You see, most of us will know about the 450 prophets of Baal and fire from heaven on Carmel. And if you're a preacher in the house, I bet you've preached it at least once. But I hope you understand that fire from heaven at Carmel was a subplot to the main deal, which was about the rain. You see, God's judgment had come on Israel because of Ahab's marriage to Jezebel and the turning of the nation away to Baal. And the prophecy had come that it wouldn't rain on the land until the word of the Lord came through Elijah. And for three and a half years it didn't. And then at the start of 1 Kings 18, God spoke. And he spoke to Elijah and he said, after a long time in the third year, although James tells us it was three and a half years, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab, I will send rain on the land. But there was an issue because Baal was being worshipped and Baal is a god of fertility, which includes a god of the rain. And Elijah knew only too well that if it began to rain after three and a half years, the people would say, praise Baal. So he said, right, we're going to deal with this before the rain comes. And and I'm not going to go into the story of what happens on Carmel. You know it very well. But you know, at the end of that, with the 450 prophets of Baal put to death, Elijah said to Ahab, now go eat and drink, for there's the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed, verse 42 of 1 Kings 18, to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. 
And if you've never understood what is going on there, James interprets for us. He said, Elijah was a man just like us. Who feels like Elijah this afternoon? I don't feel much like Elijah. But the Bible, just so that we're sure that he wasn't a special one, more special than you or I, just like us, by the way. And he does something, and James tells us, James 5, that he was praying. See, God said it's going to rain, but he puts his head between his knees, and he's crying out to God. He's birthing something. Something is going on in the heavens. He knows the rain needs to come, but he also knows, even though God's spoken it, he needs to pray it into being. How many of our villages and towns and cities need the rain? Need the rain of God? Need something to come? But I suggest we need to get our heads between our knees and birth something. Let a burden of prayer come on us. Maybe you despise the place where God has put you. I urge you to repent and ask God to give you his heart for where he's put you. And own it with others who know and love Jesus. And own it and see something happen. He sent his servant, go and look towards the sea, and he went up, nothing, seven times, go back. Just look at your hand for a moment. A cloud as small as a man's hand. I mean, I just think the servant had got weary, don't you? There's something, I mean, it's just so tiny, you couldn't call it a cloud. It's, in fact, it's ridiculous, but Elijah goes, that'll do. Hitch up your chariot, Ahab. Go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The prayer of a righteous man and woman availeth much. Friends, if you want to see a move of God in your city, if you want a five million pound facility, well, maybe in 25 years you'll get one. When you've labored and you've paid the cost, and you've paid the price, back to Alan's message this morning. There are no great victories at bargain prices, but the people of God are called to pray, aren't we? And so, I just want to sow a seed. Will you take responsibility? Will you own the redemption of your town, or your village, or your suburb? And for a few minutes, we're going to pray. We're going to spend the next half hour in worship and in prayer that God might move. But I don't think that in and of itself is the whole deal. I just pray that as we go back to the places we've come from, we'd go with a fresh passion in our hearts, not just to redeem our communities, but to pray and own like never before, to mobilize prayer, to do whatever God calls us to do, that God might move where we are, that he might open doors, that we might start to partner with the police and the council, whoever we need to partner with. That God, if there's no other spirit-filled leaders, if you're a leader here today in the place where you are, that God will start to bring some people that can stand with you. Fill the Anglican churches, fill the Baptist churches, fill the Methodist churches, and stand and partner together as his body and his bride, and work with other agencies that we need to, and see God do something awesome where we are. Wouldn't it be incredible to come back here in 12 months' time, and have a hatful of testimonies of what had happened in the last 12 months, of maybe thoughts, maybe dreams that began to come, even here today, maybe some things you're already nurturing, you're already carrying, but things that God began to do where you are. Little stories of God's provision and God's grace. Why don't we stand together? The band have already joined me, as you can see. We're going to push in for a moment. We're going to worship.
with a song. During this time, the, the fives to elevens are going to be fed back in the room. If you've got under fives, if, if during this time, without us losing the atmosphere as far as possible, if we can go and get our under fives and bring them back in. And Tom was, was particularly keen that the children are part of this last half hour. And before we finish, we're going to pray for our young people that are here today. But we're going to worship and then we're going to spend some time in prayer for the places that we represent in this room. But as the band lead us, let's worship before we do that. We bow our hearts. We lift our hands. We turn our eyes to you again. And we surrender to the truth that all we need is found in you. We bow our hearts. We bow our hearts. We lift our hands. We turn our eyes. Save our adoration, Jesus, Lamb. 